You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixit. Well, welcome back to another episode of Concierge Minister Podcast. I'm your host, Kumar Dixit. Happy New Year. Hope you survived the holidays with your family. Um, I have a question to ask you. When was the last time you had like a graphic or vivid dream? You know, like, um, like I, do you dream often? Do you remember the details of your dreams in the morning? Do you dream in color? Um, do you have regular nightmares? Um, we just went through the Christmas holidays and I found, I find it actually very interesting that the Christmas story includes a lot of stuff that Christians today probably don't support openly. Uh, for example, there's this important dream that's pivotal to the Christmas narrative. You know what I'm talking about, right? From Luke. Um, there's magi from the East. Um, we like to call them wise men, but um, keep deep, digging deeper and take a look at the fact that they were studying a star that today we would call either astronomy or maybe some hints of astrology. And just as the angel came to Mary in the Lucan account, uh, the, the question that I want to pose is, does God still speak to us today through dreams? Uh, my guest today is someone I've known for a very, very long time. In fact, almost, I think for 48 years, I can't remember how old I am, if I'm 47 or 48, but whatever I am, that's all how long I've known this person. And over the years, um, Dr. Cynthia Cavalli and I have had conversations um, that have gravitated towards the spiritual, the, the mystical, and, and recently, um, in the last five or so years, a lot about dream analysis. Um, Cynthia Cavalli is a executive leadership coach and consultant with several corporations where she works with all levels from the C-suite to VPs and directors to even new managers helping them develop their leadership communication skills and emotional intelligence. Um, in her private practice, she coaches individual clients through major life challenges, death of a loved ones, loss and career, and to help them rec reconnect with their true identity and purpose. She employs the framework of Jungian psychology, complexity science, and mythology to help her clients understand the way that their inner life informs and supports their outer life. And she loves working with dreams. And that's why she's here today and helping others understand their dreaming selves. Cynthia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kumar. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I, thank you. I really appreciate it because I, I know what you do for work. I know how busy you are. And just as I'm reading about how you coach C-suite and VPs, I'm like, um, concierge minister is neither. So thank you for like giving <laughs> me your time. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And, and if I remember right, one of the things that I, I was thinking about today is it's such an interesting thing how, you know, like you are working with clients, you're doing a lot of psychology, sociology, um, you know, just um, spiritual work with people, you're doing young in work, but I, I know you as from your first career, and that was like a scientist who like if I remember right, like build bombs. Is that right? Like, were you, aren't you like, like a, like a, like actual, like scientist that, you know, tell me. 
as a rocket scientist. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, you could say that. I was an aerospace engineer okay. and we worked on, I worked in missile defense. So I worked on defense. Well, first, my first job was on offensive weapons mm -hmm. systems, which I didn't really understand what I was doing at the time. Okay. And uh, then, then the whole, uh, the whole industry shifted from offensive to defensive weapon systems. Okay. And so I had left for a little while. And when I came back, I was working on defensive weapon systems. And then from there, I moved into systems thinking, systems engineering, mm. and thinking in, you know, organizational systems. And then I, that's what I got my doctorate in was human systems. Okay. And along the way, I became interested in and I had all, I had always been interested in Jungian psychology mm -hmm. and the framework of Jung really resonated for me and aligned with my personal experiences of the world and reality. And so when I was, I was going for my doctorate, I did my research on Jung's theory of synchronicity, his concept of synchronicity. And so I find that so interesting what a, because you don't find rocket scientists and people with an engineering mind and background to necessarily kind of be somebody who's a coach and more on the psychological side. So are you using like both sides of your brain to, to make this work? Well, I find that a lot of the clients I get from the corporations are uh, technical types of people, okay. Pe people in technical fields who have moved into management. A lot of times corporations will find somebody who's technically astute excellent as a technical person and then they almost ruin them by deciding they should become managers and leaders <laughs> yeah yeah and they don't necessarily have the skill set that translates from a technical uh, knowledge and know-how to or expertise to the more emotional side of working with people and drawing out their best behaviors so interesting that's a that's, that's interesting. So, so let's talk about what we're here for, and that's dreaming and dreams. Um, you know, I, I know you, you know, very well, as I said, for a long time, and um, I know you grew up um, being raised as a Christian. Um, you were raised in the same kind of denomination and kind of subculture as, as, as I did. Um, so you, you understand my intro when I was talking about how, you know, dreams are used a lot in scripture. Um, where, where are you now? I know you grew up as a Christian. I'm, I'm not necessarily, I don't think you are any longer or, or where do you, I, I should have put words in your mouth. So where, where do you kind of see yourself today? Well, I certainly identify as a Christian. I am still a believer in Christ and all of the things that we were taught, but I also believe in other things. So things got, became more, we could mm. say. Okay. And so I would say that my first, it was my experience of God, which moved beyond the bounds of what I had been taught about God and mm. what, what the beliefs of our church, our denomination were into now, how do I reconcile this personal experience I'm having of God with what I've been taught and mm. experience has to come Mm -hmm. to the forefront it has to take priority for me it did because that was my truth 
That mm-hmm. was what I knew for sure. I couldn't claim for sure any of the things in the Bible that I had not experienced. I could just say, I believe these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the things that I'd experienced, I didn't have to believe. I knew them. Yeah, They were things that I knew firsthand. So I had always been a little uncomfortable with the whole proselytizing aspect of, of our denomination. And this alleviated that pressure because it was all about now what I actually now it wasn't about convincing someone to believe something it was all about you know what have you experienced and how does that align with what you were taught and is it time to redefine your own story about what's true for you Mm. and how do you make that happen that's what happened to me so I along the way I I studied, um, you know, I, I was very interested in what other religions taught about God. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that they were right and my upbringing was wrong, not at all. It was, these are the other experiences that other people in other cultures have had with the divine. Mm. And what does that say? And have I experienced that? Yes, sometimes. I remember in fifth grade, I think it was taking world literature and reading excerpts from the Upanishads. And I was stunned because I, they knew what I was, I had experienced about in my prayers and with my relationship with God or Jesus. And I had not found that actually in the Bible Mm -hmm. stated in quite that way. And I just tucked that away in the back of my head. Uh, and when I found that to be the case later on with more and more holy writings from other traditions, I began to realize, well, they know, they know what I've experienced. They have experienced what I've experienced and I could never deny their experience of it. So I had to accept there was more. And that's really, that's really amazing. I, 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 as you're talking, I'm thinking about like, you know, calling you like, you know, I asked if you're a Christian in the beginning I, and the way to describe you is like, you're Christian plus, <laughs> you know, like you, you've have the basic, uh, you know, um, development as a Christian, but you're, you have had so much more experiences, um, you know, because you've opened yourself up to much more of the deity and, and, and the divine. So, yeah, I think that, you know, your background and your experience, you know, within what we call, you know, conservative or traditional Christianity to exploring kind of to a wider worldview allows you to be more open to the idea that the divine comes to us in many different facets. And one of them is through dreams. Absolutely. Um, you know, my, my mom and you, you knew my mom, um, my mom was kind of sort of a, like a witch doctor. <laughs> she would kill me for saying that, but she had dreams and they came true. And throughout her whole life, as a little child, she dreamt dreams throughout her, you know, grown life. In fact, um, there was, there's one time um, we were in Tennessee together, we were walking into a, a hospital and she stopped me and she said, hold on real quick. And she went, to, this is a true story. She went over to a payphone, she dialed the number and like all these quarters came out of the payphone and she like took it out and she had like the smile on her face and she like, <laughs> You know, it was probably like $3 worth of coins, but that was a lot of money coming out of a payphone. She put it in her pocket. I said, mom, what did you do? And she started laughing. She said, you know, I dreamt that if I put this number at this payphone, that 
money would come out. And sure enough, like I saw it with my own eyes, you know, like stuff like that happened our whole life, you know? That's and fantastic. so, you know, so there's, there's no, there's no part of me denying that there are, um, there are, they're divine, but also supernatural um, parts of our being that oftentimes we're not really connected to. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a great story. I yeah. can see her doing that. <laughs> so tell me, where, where did you start kind of getting interested in, in this idea of dream and dream analysis? Well, I'd always had very vivid dreams. And um, we also, in my family, had dreams that came true. And my mom put a lot of stock in dreams. And, you know, according to her, they all came from God and God was speaking to us. Mm -hmm. But that didn't explain the whole variety of dreams we had that explained some of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I went through a phase when I was a, a young engineer, where I didn't know how to reconcile my dream life with the science that I was being taught. Mm. that things are random, that, that there isn't such a thing as meaning in the universe, that, that life is more random than that. And I did move away from my dream life for a while. I stopped writing them down. I stopped paying attention to them. And honestly, it makes me sad even to remember that time. I just stopped believing that they had, that they had anything meaningful to say to me. And then my life moved along, you know, bumpy as normal. as life goes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had, uh, I began reading more about mythology and I, I found Jung and I, something draw, drew me to him. And I appreciated the deeper way that he thought about the world, but I had trouble navigating his writing. He can be difficult. Yeah, and, dense, uh, dense. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I wasn't familiar with the language that mm -hmm. he used. And then I um, I read Joseph Campbell and mythology, and it, he blew my mind. I mm -hmm. was so, it was like having been thirsty my whole life. And then this was just, he helped me make sense of the narratives, the biblical narratives that I had been taught from childhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He helped me make sense of the other Abrahamic religions and their narratives and how to reconcile those with them, mm. with each other. He helped me understand what the symbolism in Hinduism was referring to much far further than what I had understood mm -hmm. and in Buddhism and many of the other world religions. And also his specialty was the American Indians and their mm -hmm. mythology. So a lot mm -hmm. of indigenous peoples and their relationship to the earth and the world and the, you know, the environment around them, it was just so mind-blowing and healing. And so my leaving our church was never angry. It was never about, oh, you let me down. You disappointed me. It was never any of those things. I was, I'm so filled with gratitude for the upbringing that I received and the biblical knowledge that I was given. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when in talking to anybody, we, you know, that we know the Bible pretty well mm -hmm. and it's never a problem to talk. People think there are things in the Bible. It's like, that's not in the Bible, actually. That's just a wise <laughs> saying somebody yeah. said that's not yeah. biblical. Right. Right. We were, we are definitely Bible, uh, 
we have PhDs in Bible knowledge, maybe <laughs> maybe not necessarily, you know, uh, in Bible heart, right? Is, is kind of the, the the challenge. You know, I'm I'm thinking about um, the story of Joseph in, in Genesis, where, you know, he has this dream and he's kind of just this young teenager and kind of a. I think of Joseph to be honest with you as kind of a brat, because he has these dreams and he's like just telling his brothers like, hey, look at you, you all gonna bow down before me, you know. But but throughout the Bible, people don't have dreams and then it's over. It's they have dreams and then it needs to be interpreted, right? So like, even like, you know, I'm thinking about Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's going crazy because he had all these dreams and no one can figure out, you know, who's going to be able to interpret the dreams. And so it's not that we just have dreams given to us. It's that also the dreams must be um, explained to us. And in many cases, it's being explained to us to um, prepare us for something that's ahead of, of us. What are your thoughts right. about that? Right. So the older cultures in humanity had ways of thinking about dreams. They had a culture that included dreaming and the dream life. Mm -hmm. It's only later on when you had uh, rational thought come into the picture that people began to think of the inner life as something different and mm. began focusing outwardly that was a departure and maybe it was a necessary departure because it forced people to think more logically about things and not so uh, there was a lot of superstition superstition that happened mm -hmm. and um, the rational movement helped to tighten people's thinking up more, mm. but mm. we're at, at our fundamentally, we are non-rational beings. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these older traditions had a way of understanding dreams. There was a context for dreams. There was a whole culture around it. They had wise men, they had soothsayers, they had advisors to the king who would mm -hmm. help interpret dreams. And it wasn't a logical, rational thing. I think that their wisdom and their logic and their rational thinking included dreams. It wasn't mm -hmm. what we would consider rational thinking, right? So say a little bit more about that, that we are not rational beings. Well, I would say that the world fundamentally is non-rational. At mm -hmm. the heart of number systems, they are inherently non-rational. Mm. You can come to a rational place. You can put a rational lens on things. You can, I mean, if you're trying to understand the world, it's vast. It's so huge. Mm -hmm. So you pick a piece of it and you try to develop a simple model that will help you narrow down the options so that mm -hmm. you can understand that little bit of it. Mm -hmm. And that's an extremely effective approach to understanding the world. What happens is if it's super successful, which it has been, we tend to think that that's actually the real reality and mm -hmm. we, we neglect everything else. So, you know, there are scientists who recognize that the world has an inherently non-rational underpinning to it. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of scientists who've forgotten that and who eschew the non-rational and they don't know how to, I mean, it's tricky. You don't know how to handle it. How do you get your arms around it? What is it about? Uh, that's what actually drew me to physics. I was really interested in how physics explained the world and reality. And then when I 
you know, after I worked in that area for a while, it didn't explain everything. It didn't explain mm. human beings and it didn't explain consciousness. And mm. so I began looking further and I feel that Jung actually at least acknowledged that problem and got closer to including that in his framework. And then, then I began to study complexity science and then that gets closer to the mystery. So it's been a fascinating journey, mm. starting with the question of what is consciousness? What is the nature of consciousness and how does it evolve through us and through human systems? Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I've been. So and why dreams are, play a part. I'm sorry. Dreams yeah. play a part in that. Yeah. So yes. why, why are we so, um, let me think of the word before I, and I'll start over again. Um, so, so why are we so suspicious of dreams and what they mean in people's lives? Like, like imagine today, like a 14 or 16 year old girl came and said, um, you know, I had a dream and an angel told me that I'm pregnant and I, I'm going to have like, um, I'm actually going to give birth to the savior of the world. Like that would be a problem, you know, and I probably think it would, would have been even a problem back then. But, you know, why, why is it that we are so, and I know what you, you were saying, especially in particular because of where we are today in, in a modern age compared to, um, you know, a thousand or 2000 years ago, but, but why are we so suspicious of um, God um, speaking to us in biblical format, but we, we are unwilling to accept it today? Well, I actually think it's good to be skeptical because anybody can say anything and people are crazy. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. people say all kinds of things. It's not like uh, they have a good handle of self, not on their self-knowledge. They don't mm -hmm. know themselves. A lot of times, many people that I encounter every day, the percentage of people who really pay attention to themselves and their reactions and who strive to know themselves and their not so great qualities and their great qualities mm -hmm. is very mm -hmm. small. Yeah. So I don't know when somebody comes to me and says, God told me this, especially when somebody says, God told me to shoot all these people. Yeah. Really? I mm -hmm. mean, I find that hard to believe. Mm -hmm. So I think it's right to be skeptical when people say things like that. I think that um, there are several layers to the answer to the question that you're asking. One mm -hmm. is that the stories that we get, and this is a perspective that I've come to embrace and that not everybody does. I don't necessarily believe in the literal interpretation of the stories that are in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I, there's a process that happens over time where you can have a good man or a good woman, but typically in our culture, it's a good man who does and says wise things and helps people and is venerated by the people who were his followers. And after, I don't know, I don't remember the time span, but you know, two, 300 years, that person is seen as uh, a divinity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there is that process that we know happens in human culture. So, you know, the story that we have now is not a word for word historical factual document. It is mm -hmm. a story that speaks at a mythological level. And the mythological level is not, as some people say, a lie. It's not the same as a myth, 
a myth is something that's not true. A mm -hmm. mythology and the myth in the mythological sense is true. It's just not true in the literal concrete way. It's true in a deeper, more inward knowing way. And so to say that you're 16 and you're pregnant or 14 and pregnant and it was God did it, you know, that's crazy talk in a literal sense, but in a mm. mythological sense, it has huge layers of meaning. I'm, I'm so glad. No, I'm sorry. I'm so I'm so glad you're explaining the difference between myth and mythology because I only have two listeners, and I think that probably like one of them's already left now. Like the fundamental one, fundamentalist has left already. They're like, "What? She says the Bible is is myth." And so I just want to welcome my one listener who's left <laughs> now, so who was willing to listen through what what Cynthia said. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, I what you're saying is that it it wasn't. It's not an autobiography, you know. It's it's definitely there's portions of it that are mythological. There there there's stories to tell us stories um, to explain. I mean, Jonah is a good example of that, right? So, um, so I think that you you raise a good point, and so then we have to ask ourselves, what is this saying um, to us, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, even if you want to see it as a literal story. If you only stay at the literal interpretation, you're missing the point. The mm. reason that it lasted, the reason it made it into the Bible was because of a lot of other levels of meaning that it possesses, not because it was literally true, mm -hmm. but because it spoke at the level of a heart. The whole idea of the virgin birth has mythological meanings that are significant to us. And if we only focus on the fact that she was this young and she was a virgin, and it was this mirac miraculous thing we miss the whole point of the virgin birth, which is that you're talking about something that is occurring, a birth that is occurring at the level of the heart rather mm. than you know, through the mundane human physical ways of giving birth. Mm -hmm. Not to, not to uh, say that that is inferior, but it is a different kind of a event. You're talking about a heart level event, not a, yeah. not a concrete thing. So. You miss the meaning if you stay only with the concrete interpretation. Do, do you think there's certain people, just certain people on this earth that are, you know, who are spiritual seers, you know, like there's like, we all have spirituality, we all are spiritual beings, but then there's other people. Cause you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier about, you know, when, when I was mentioning, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is that there were people employed in the King's palace who were looked upon as dream interpreters who were, you know, wise, um, wise counsel, people who had um, higher levels of spirituality. So do you think that we have spiritual people that are around us that are, that have a greater understanding and access to the universe than the rest of us do? Hey guys, it's Kumar Dixit, your concierge minister. I just wanted to interrupt for a moment and just invite you to pray with me or have me pray for you. You know, sometimes people just don't have the right words. Sometimes you're just so overwhelmed. You haven't prayed in a long time and you're like, man, I really need someone to pray for me. Do not hesitate to contact me at concierge You'll see on the front page, a tab for prayer. Click on it, send your prayer request. It goes to a group of people who are praying for you and I will continue to pray for you as well. So head over there to concierge I wanna pray for you and click on the website. Trust me, we're covering you in prayer. Well, I think 
that yes, I think there are people who have greater abilities in that area. I think it's something that everybody has. Mm. I remember when I was first thinking about God and whether God was love, really loved, did God really know everything? You know, I was grappling as a youngster with the whole concept of God and that expansive experience of God. And I thought, well, if God is love, really love, whatever that means, then salvation has to be available to everybody, mm-hmm. everybody, mm-hmm. wherever they are, mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. just by the cha- off chance that a missionary somewhere comes and teaches you this particular version of the message, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be somehow available to them wherever they are under the circumstances that they find themselves in. And so this- I still hold to that. I think that that must be true. So this this universalist kind of view that you have is that um, if if I can use a very Christian you know word you know the idea of salvation you know is that salvation comes to all people in different forms but they still have access to that deity is that what you're saying? Yeah, kind of. Um, okay. I mean, I I even moved away from the whole idea of salvation because that is not a universal understanding. Mm-hmm. And um, so now we're getting into deeper theological conversations <laughs> <laughs> that's far away from dreams. But, you know, uh, getting back to the idea of the wise men and do are there people like that? I think absolutely there are mm. people like that today. I don't know. We don't have the same kind of uh, our society isn't organized in the same way. Mm-hmm. But if you look at earlier times when people were more nomadic and you had lived in tribes and lived, you know, traveled around, moved around the world, finding uh, place, safe places and places of abundance and plenty of food. Mm-hmm. Even in those tribes, you're talking indigenous people now, they had wise men and, and mm. um, dreamers, and they were shamans and medicine men, and they could see they had different abilities. And the interesting thing about that is that. It wasn't just anybody. They they revealed themselves. You could tell who was and who wasn't destined yeah. for that life. And it was largely based on a psychological crack up that happened mm-hmm. to them. And they had to navigate that extremely disruptive psychological event. And if they went mad, then they weren't able to successfully navigate it. But if they were able to come out on the other side, they were stronger and more whole than they had been before. And they come away with gifts, which include dreams and vision. That's incredible. All right. So let me, let me ask you, I'm going to tell you a dream I had two nights ago. You ready? Okay. So, and, and I, maybe once or twice a year, I may have like a nightmare or scream in my sleep, Um, but I, I don't do it very often. But the other night I like scream like, ah! you know, scream like crazy. And my wife had to like shake me. I was like, wake up, wake up, wake up, you know? Um, so I had this, <laughs> I had this dream. I'm in my house. There's, we're just all hanging out and somebody's at the door and they keep like just knocking and bugging, like they won't leave the door. And so I finally go to the door and there's like a Christmas wreath and uh, wreath. And there's like, you know, all this, it, it's kind of like foggy a little bit, but I look out and I can kind of see two individuals out the door. 
And they keep kind of just pounding, but not rudely, but just trying to like get my attention. And I started pounding back at them and was like, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. So this went back and forth for a while. And then I looked and I could see that they were two men, but they were kangaroos standing at the door and like trying to get through. So I got mad and I saw there was a, there was a storm door in between us. So I was like, let me open up the door, but there'll be the storm door between us where I can like yell at them, like get out of here. Right. So I opened up the storm door. And when I opened up the storm door, what I realized is that there's no glass or plexiglass in the storm door. There's just like these bars, right. That have like the storm, like the, 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 between the, in the door. And so one of the like kangaroo men like reached through the bars till I grab a hold of me. And that's when I started screaming. And then I woke up. Whoa. <laughs> tell me, tell me, what, what does this mean? Well, so let me just say a few things about dreams and dream sharing and asking for feedback. Um, one of the ways that my dream teacher taught me was that the dreamer is the owner of the dream, right? You're mm -hmm. the arbiter of the dream and you get the final say. Now, you may not be as proficient at dream interpretation, so you would want to stay open, but it mm -hmm. is not for me to tell you what the dream means. I can offer, if it were my dream, I would consider these ideas or okay. these uh, interpretations. Um, and I also say from my experience working with dreams, this is what I've found that other people have noticed mm -hmm. or found to be true. So the what strikes me about your dream is that there's somebody outside trying to come in. Somebody, you know, it can be your house, it can be your consciousness. You can mm. think of it in several different ways. But there's something outside of you that wants entrance into your domicile, let's say, mm. and is looking for, to gain entry. And they're knocking, they're insistent. It's mm -hmm. insistent, it's not necessarily threatening, but you're a little threatened. I mean, it's mm -hmm. dark, it's night, it's not clear who they are, what they want. So it is a little threatening and you do feel threatened by it. And then you notice that it, you think it's two men when you're finally able, you can see that it's two people. And then you notice that they're two men and then you notice it's, they're not even men, they're kangaroo people, mm -hmm. which is, here's how I would look at that. Um, what if it had been your father? That would have specific meaning to you. What mm -hmm. if it was not your father, but an uncle? That would have somewhat different meaning. Mm -hmm. What if it was not anybody you knew, but a stranger? What if now it's not even a human, it's kind of an animal. What if it was a dog? That would have a different feeling. You would be more related to a dog or a cat than you would to a tiger or a lion. Mm -hmm. The kangaroo is even further removed. Yeah. It's that much wilder and stranger, whatever this mm. visitor is that wants entry into your domicile. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? I so do. It's something that's that along the lines of that's how strange it is to you. That's how, and, and it's threatening, um, but they weren't originally threatening. Right. And what I find is a lot of times uh, with inner work, an idea will come and try to meet you an mm -hmm. idea or a concept or some breakthrough will try mm -hmm. to meet you and if we are resistant to it 
and it's supposed to come be a breakthrough we're meant to have, it will have to become louder and more insistent in order to be heard. Mm. And if we continue to resist, sometimes people have dreams where they're being chased by a monster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it may not be scary at first, but it gets scarier and scarier and they keep running and running. If you have multiple dreams like this, and this is not always true, but sometimes you can stop in the dream and turn around and say, what do you want? And the dream, the character, whatever it is, the monster will turn into something else that's not at all threatening. They just had to be threatening to get our attention. Has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. And then, Mm. and it's not always the right advice to say, you know, when something threatening, sometimes the right answer is to run and get away. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you keep having that dream and the thing keeps chasing you in every dream and you keep running away, then you might say, hey, maybe it's somebody trying to tell me something. Maybe they have Mm. a message for me. And if you can find it in yourself to stop and go, oh, what do you want? then they can give you the message. And in, there are traditions of dreaming where they say that the, that the demon face, when you stop and develop a relationship with, turns into an angel face. They become your strongest allies and protectors. And mm. from then on, that what you had perceived as a demon becomes your ally and your angel, your guardian angel. That's, that's interesting. I, one of the things I'm kind of picking up from what you're saying is, especially the fact that it's a kangaroo, it's not even something that's even in my world here, right? Right. In, in North America. So it's so far removed. And so, you know, it's definitely something that's strange, that's unfamiliar, um, and that's new, right? And yet it's beckoning my attention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I would, if it were me, if that dream had come to me, I would pay attention to what happens over the next course of the next few weeks or months. Mm-hmm. I would, if I was curious enough, I could even, as I'm falling asleep, say, that was really interesting. I'd like another dream like that. Please, <laughs> or not a scary dream. So yeah. I have had this where this has happened where the dreams are so frightening that mm-hmm. I can't even have the wherewithal to ask about it. So I say, you know, I think you're trying to tell me something. It's mm. too scary for me. Can you try to say it in a way that's not, that doesn't scare me? Please let me have another, the message in a different way. I'm paying attention now. And, and, and then, it comes back to you. Yeah. Really? Well, you know, I mean, it's all about developing a relationship with that part of you that dreams mm. and becoming the more of a relationship you have with that part of you the more you can trust what happens and what comes and you can have a dialogue with that Mm -hmm. part of you. If it goes back and forth, if you've neglected that part of you, you're not going to know if what comes, you know, for example, if you're, if your mom says something to to you versus your wife says something to you, you know, their voices are different. Mm -hmm. You know, the way Mm -hmm. they speak is different. It's the same way with the inner world. There are different voices and different aspects of ourselves that, that reside there and the more familiar we become with them by being in dialogue with them hmm. the easier it becomes to recognize who is speaking and when and if I've, that voice belongs to you or does not I, i've never thought of that idea of kind of like it inviting 
that consciousness to come back to revisit that um to explore more i mean it sounds very like matrix ish you know but um as you're explaining it to me, I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, it's definitely a part of the brain and the consciousness that hasn't been used enough or been exercised enough. And so to be able to evoke it and use it and, and, and be a participant in it rather than being a voyeur, um, it could be really a, a huge step in kind of helping you with, with, with your life. Absolutely. What you want is to partner with it because mm. it is, it's part of our birthright as uh, sentient beings mm -hmm. that we have this helper. It's a, it's a part of our, the psyche. And this is why I liked Jung so much was he recognized the psyche as an organ of consciousness in the human being, along with our other organs, our, our biological organs. He recognized mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. there are psyche the organs of the psyche that exist that are just as part of being human as having a heart and lungs and liver and all of that, you know, the digestion mm -hmm. system. And it's a huge benefit to us. So the ancient peoples understood that and they recognized that not everybody had the same abilities. Mm -hmm. And so they had their wise people who informed the rest of the people and you have people who are good at hunting and getting food. Okay. Mm. So you have those people do that. And then you have other people that are really good at building homes or whatever. So you have those people do that or cooks who are great at preparing food. Mm -hmm. And then you have your wise people who are good at seeing into things, into the depth of things and seeing beyond things and having dreams. And they're really good at, at that relationship with their psyches. So you have them informing the whole tribe and these tribes, you know, these tribes, not just in old times, but even if you go to certain remote areas of the world now, there are countries in Af there are tribes in different countries in Africa, and um, that's where I know of them the most, where they still hunt in this way, where the men go out and hunt, and the women stay home and prepare things for when the men come back with the spoils mm -hmm. of the hunt. Yeah. And they are so connected in their psyches that the women know when the men have been successful and they start preparing the fires so that by mm. the time the men get there, the fires are ready to start roasting the meat, you know, or mm -hmm. they have their instruments ready to skin and prepare the meat, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they are connected in that deep way. That is our biological heritage mm -hmm. that we've lost. That's something that was lost in the thrust towards rational thinking, which was a necessary thrust, but we can now have the rational thought and still start to explore some of these other ways that consciousness can help us that are not rational, but nevertheless real. That's what I, I think. Yeah. And I think what, you know, what you're describing is so Eastern thought, you know, and I hate to say that because, you know, because it's nothing's Western or Eastern, but in our Western world, it is something that we, I mean, just what you said, like, in societies or even in you know groups of people who live amongst each other everyone has their role now in in western you know society it's okay now you're at an age why don't you take a you know 200 question you know examination to determine what kind of you know career you should go to instead of really kind of 
having that heartbeat to where the where the community is helping you discover what your role is in contribution to the community. And I think about that because I was, um, if you remember, I was a, a missionary in Papua New Guinea and I lived in the jungle and there was, you know, I lived six doors down from the witch doctor, you know, and he, and people had dreams, people had, you know, uh, a disease, people had marital problems. They went to the witch doctor. And I mean, the stuff I saw his ability to do no one will ever believe me if I told you like the stuff, like the, the, the physical manifestation that he was able to do um, because, because we lived in a different period, right. You know, in, yeah. in time. So I think what you're bringing up is something that um, we are so unaware of, you know, um, just the fact that there is um, if I can use Christian language, you know, just there um, are seen and unseen forces amongst us that influence and shape our earthly destiny, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And, you know, I feel it was a little bit of a disservice because the way I grew up, I was taught that anything that we couldn't explain like that mm. was from the devil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was terrified of things like that. I was terrified of the devil and mm-hmm. Um, being associated with the devil in any way or any kind of devilish activity or satanic mm-hmm. thing. And then, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's not that that has gone away entirely, but I just feel that I've come to a different understanding of what the devil meant. And, you know, that, and that kind of a devil doesn't necessarily exist in all religions. Mm-hmm. It's there, there's a different understanding of what evil is and what, the devil's role is there might be many devils there may be devils who are associated with certain behaviors that are antithetical to life or Mm. you know uh, negative in some way but they can be ameliorated they can be related to in a in a healthy way that brings about healing and wholeness so that that helped me a lot but i i um it struggled with that a lot yeah yeah and i think i'm kind of like maybe 30 years behind you when it comes to like deconstruction, deconstructing my religion, you know, like it's all the stuff that you just said. It's, it's been like pushed down in me and it's compacted and it's been so hard to kind of break it from within to kind of realize like, Hey, that's really like an interesting idea, but maybe there's more to that. You know, maybe that's just a, 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 a start of where um, I need to go. You know, and I, I've been working with a, a friend on kind of deconstructing my faith over the last couple of years, where it's really helping me realize, especially in tune to kind of that 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 Eastern thought and Eastern medicine. Like, just as an example, I, I see an acupuncturist, and before we begin, you know, she she checks my pulse, and she's not checking like the pulse that the doctor's checking. She's checking three different pathways, you know, of of pulse to tell me and. And literally, Cynthia, every single time, she's like she's been like, so what's going on? I'm like, I'm not telling you, you tell me. And so she'll <laughs> check my pulse and she's right on. You know, she's like, oh, there's something going on with your gut or you're under a lot of stress or, you know, it's like just nails it, you know? And I brought it up to a cousin of mine who's a physician. He's like, that is hogwash. It's the stupidest thing I've heard. There's no invisible pulse, you know, <laughs> but, but it is a, such a good example of how in so many ways there is a 
part, an invisible part of this universe that we are so not in tune with um, because of our kind of Newtonian understanding of Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that's the hardest to address or recognize for modern people is that, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's right over. I thought this had been turned off. One of the hardest things for modern people to recognize is that what you see is not everything. Mm. What is available to our five senses is mm -hmm. not everything. There aren't even five senses. There are more senses than mm. that. Mm -hmm. there, there, our reality is too limited if that's, those are the only tools we use to apprehend reality or to understand mm. it. And so when a physician says that's hogwash, well, from their perspective, I guess it is, but that is a very limited window of perception to use just mm -hmm. the five senses, just what you can see and touch. Uh, what if what constitutes a human being is what you can see and touch and also a few moments before this reality and a few months moments after that reality? Right. What if it's not just limited in time, but in space as well? What if there is a, a now I'm blanking on the word, but you know, there's more to us than just what you can see. There are auras, you can see auras. And now mm -hmm. I believe that they're theoretically possible, but I remember the first time I ever saw one and it was when I was participating in a shamanic drumming ritual I wouldn't say ritual. It was just shamanic drumming. Mm -hmm. The shamanic drumming is used to, I wouldn't say it's used to, but it has the effect of putting you in an altered state, mm -hmm. just like any kind of repetitive chanting puts you yeah. in a more meditative state. So the drumming and uh, indigenous people see the drum as a vehicle, a horse that carries you somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I had tried to meditate, you know, I've had, limited levels of success with meditation mm -hmm. but I, let me tell you when that drumming started I didn't have to try it mm -hmm. was effortless I was somewhere else yeah and in that altered state of perception the drummer I could see his aura it was just pouring off of him and I kept rubbing mm -hmm. my eyes thinking what am I what am I seeing mm -hmm. and it's possible to see things that are not visible to your normal profane sight mm -hmm. there are so many other things we're our human bodies are tuned to a certain level of reality right but that's not all of reality there's you know we know from sight that there are colors we can't see that there's you know yeah, infrared right, and right. ultraviolet that we mm -hmm. can't see doesn't mean that it doesn't exist we know they exist because we have instrumentation that can detect it mm -hmm. but our instrumentation isn't the be all end all either there are right. things we can't see so to imagine that this is hogwash there are other ways of perception that modern traditions have forgotten and it would be great if we had access to all of these it would be it'd be crazy i mean i, I know somebody who is able to see colors um over human beings so they can look at somebody and be like, oh, he's a green, he's a yellow, he's, you know, she's a, she's a white. And, and there's, there's, um, there's association with each one of those colors. I mean, there's only one person I've ever met. And, and I, and, and I, and I don't 
denied that they have that ability. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, you know, there's what you're saying is the, the universe is so expanse that expansive that there's possibilities for all of this. You know, a, a friend of mine, that same friend of mine who talked to me about, um, who's working with me on deconstruction, one of, one of the things that um, she said that really blew my mind this year is the idea that, you know, that from a Christian perspective, God is in, amongst all of us. He's in all of us, right? So, so whether it's God is in all of us because we're Christians or whether um, God is in all of us because we believe that we, we originated from a big burst, whatever it is, we all have elements of God and we share elements of God within, within, us, within us. And so what that means then is that it helps me understand why I'm able to um, feel things for other people, even if I'm not even in the state, still same state as they are, because that element of God is in all of us. And we share that, um, you know, if, if I can say that energy, you know, it's, it's the same energy and a good example of that. I know we're going way off of dreams, but that's fine. Um, listener, you listen to me. Okay. Um, I, I, a really good example of that is, um, you know, I've been working with a, a family who, um, husband was, you know, given a diagnosis of cancer six weeks ago and um, just ravaged his body a week and a half ago. You know, I went over to the house. I prayed with them. I, I, I anointed him. I, I spent time with them. And in my hospice brain, because I work for hospice, I was like, oh, this guy has probably a good two or three months to live, right? Um, yesterday, I'm like just hit with at 3.30, I'm hit with communicate with this family. And so I texted the daughter. I said, hey, just checking in. You know, how's your dad? I love you. Please give me an update. What I didn't know was that around 2.20, he had passed. And then later that night at 6 o'clock at night, I'm standing there in the house with the, with the body, um, holding his, you know, touching his head, looking at the daughter and I say, I don't know if I did this or not, but I think I texted you today. And she says, I think you did. And when we both looked at our phones, it was like unbelievable that I had this energy to know, you know, like in Christianity, we would say the Holy Spirit, you know, is speaking to me. But, and, and in the same way, there's this the spiritual energy that we're interconnected to with each other that made me realize I must reach out to this person because there's something happening in their life. Yeah. Yeah. That's profound. It's a profound experience. And yeah. it's, it's a, it's a realization of our interconnectedness that you can never get just from hearing it explained. You have to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you one last story? Cause I, no. I, of course. Listen, we gotta do, we need to redo this episode and do a whole dream episode, okay? <laughs> because fine. I had lots of questions about like, you know, there, there, you know, if you look at, you know, kind of dream analysis, there's, you know, a standard, um, you know, like what do trees mean and what a, you know, being out yeah. on the water mean. Like we need to talk about that, but sure, we've gotten so far off. I gotta just bring you back, okay? But did you ever watch the movie um, Teen Wolf? No, with, I did with not. Um, Michael J. Fox. So he's like a wolf. And what he doesn't realize until like halfway through is that his dad is a wolf, but his dad has hidden his wolf tendencies and kind of has come across as a 
human, right? And so there's the scene where he's sitting at the table and he and his dad are kind of like, for the first time, first time seeing each other of who they originally are and, and created, and that is wolves. And I, I tell you that because growing up, um, especially as a prepubescent teenager and then into my teenage years, I was able to like dream dreams and interpret dreams and, and have dreams come true. And I remember like sitting with my mom and I was like telling her, I was like, I know you have this gift and I know that you can tell the future, but I don't want to do that because I'm afraid I'm going to use it like for evil. Cause I, you know, I only had one dimension of like Jesus and Satan. I was like, I don't want to use it for Satan, you know, take this away from me. And my mom kind of smiled and she was like, okay, but you know, this is really a, like an incredible gift that you have. You should use it. But I did pray it away. And I asked God, I remember where I was and I asked God, like, I can't have this ability. Please take this away from me. And then, you know, 16 years old and I never gotten it again, you know, you know, so I do think that there are elements of this profound kind of spirituality that we are so unaware of. Can I make an observation that's interesting? Yeah. May or may not be accurate, but mm -hmm. what if that's who was knocking on your door? Mm. Dude, I'm getting chills down my body. That is so crazy. Could be. Just a thought. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely, I mean, I think I'm in that area and place in my life where I could handle that level of responsibility, right? Um, and where I am so in tune with wanting to help others that, you know, it could be a benefit. So wait and well, see. Well, that's interesting because I think we're trying to wrap up right here. So yes. I'll, I'll say this. I, sure. in my, in my coaching work with the corporations, I don't necessarily dream about them, but in my private practice where I'm working with individuals who are struggling through a crisis of some kind, I very often dream about their lives really, and about their reality and some more than others, some clients more than others. And it's been enormously helpful for me to work with my dreams about their lives. It's been a gift that I'm able to figure things out based on what comes to me and me. I don't say, oh, I know all about your life. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Right. But I, it gives me an idea of what to try or what approach that might help. And it's been an enormous asset. So I wholeheartedly mm. concur that developing this ability for yourself would be beneficial to the people that you work with, especially in hospice, where I think the veils are thinner. Yes. Because you're working in life and death. Yes. Yes. And in and out of consciousness, literally. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It makes a big difference. Cynthia, I don't know if I should thank you or apologize to you because like, this is truly like such important work. And I love where we talked about what we talked about today, but will you come back again? Let's talk about like straight up, like, you know, dreams. And I would love to, I would love to, and I would love to continue this conversation with you. Me too. You want to yeah. I would love that. It's, it's really great. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. We will um, catch you another time. Please stop. Don't write me like stupid letters about, you know, where I went off track today. Um, we're all on our own journey. Okay. I'm here. I'm here to help you grow as well as myself. So until another time, God bless. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit conciergeminister.com or send us an email at conciergeminister at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, go and live your best life.